Ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. And welcome to Entitled Weekend on what has been an, a revelatory week uh, filled with nothingness and and uh, things that we've already known but have been have been wrapped up in a bunch of shit sandwiches. So <laughs> um, Joe and Bill are here with me. And guys, uh, the, the first time I found out about this uh, Boston Herald article by uh, Karen Gregan and Andrew Callahan about uh, well, first the headline, which obviously you need a headline to catch everyone's attention, and the headline is Belichick effed us. That's the headline, and it's not a and it's just like in the in the article, it's not attributed to any one person. It's attributed to a an anonymous an anonymous source, but that's what that entire article was about. It it. It was filled with anonymous sources talking about the offense in particular and, you know, announcing that Bill O'Brien is is the new offensive coordinator. But <laughs> what did you guys think when you found out about this? Because to me, it was a whole bunch of nothingness, but we'll talk about it in a moment. The reaction to it was worse than the article itself. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I gave that article minimal attention. The only attention I gave it was just from looking at the reaction on Twitter and in reaction in the in the, in the media world. Um, it, it was hailed as like this holy grail of amazing journalism, right? We saw fellow journalists, uh, colleagues, peers. Of anyone, anyone really on the Patriots beat was was taking this article and really praising it to a point where it was getting very cringeworthy. The the amount of praise it was getting, I mean, granted, fine. The article itself made it made it very clear that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were not the right decision in the offense. And there came a point in the season where I think every Patriots fan decided that that's the correct take. That's the correct. Yeah, anyone narrative. anyone with anyone with two eyes and a functioning brain can figure that it wasn't working. <laughs> right. And there was obvious evidence of that not working. And I think the problem I have most with that article and the in the parade that all these journalists are having is they made that claim back in August, back in July, that it wasn't going to work. And they were just saying that based off of no factual evidence, not seeing anything. And it, it was it was pure Belichick's gonna fuck this up. Whatever. Right? And that and 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 they're and they're taking a massive victory lap on something that people at that point might not have agreed with, but they agree with it obviously now with the fact that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were not the decision. So when I see guys that are just look at this amazing article, all this legwork, all this all this whatever that that um Callahan and, and Garigian did, it's it's really cringe because if you look at the meat and bones of the article, it is very vague on who the source is on unnamed sources bill fucked us and i saw that i saw that quote all over twitter people people um taking educated guesses on who that might be and putting it to names and it was just very very dangerous when you start doing that when you start putting those quotes out there and attributing 
in hypothetically attributing them to people because as we all know there are very dumb people on twitter and there are very dumb people who consume sports what media. no way dumb people on twitter <laughs> and pe- people I, I, I demand a recount it's it it's just a, it's just a dangerous dangerous game and it pushes and it just pushes narratives to be more prominent unfalse narratives that people obviously have against belichick and, and whatever and it just it just ignites this massive shitstorm of of we were right and you were wrong when but if you look at the meat and bones it is a lot of eh, I, sure yeah you're set, you're making very easy points but you're, you're not you're not taking any victory laps on us or at least anyone on this podcast and I, and I think I speak for everyone when I say that but but yeah no that article um was a whole lot of nothingness as you alluded to early on in the podcast and great you were right about Matt Patricia and Joe Judge congrats you're giving the people what they want even though what they want is well they they want more than that but you're giving, you're just telling, again, you're telling people what they want to hear. You're soothing their, their preconceived notions. And again, the reaction, and we'll, we'll get to one reaction in particular. It was just so, the what I, and this is how I knew it was bullshit from the very beginning. It was just so over the top. Wow, what a revelation. This is unbelievable. The, and, and, and some of the people, when I, when I uh, tweeted out basically saying, well, Mike Reese and Jim McBride are two guys who are usually very even keeled. And if they have anything to add about what the big topic of the day is, what the big story of the day regarding Patriots is, they'll add to it. They're not afraid to do that. But if they haven't said anything about this, then and all the and all the right people are, you know, the cat fuckers of the world and and you know the WEIs of the world. Like they're they're all in on this. But the the two guys who you would expect to add add something to this art hmm that that's when I, I my light bulb went off and and you know and all the overt praise of this just got real hollow so, so bill where do, where do you stand on this uh this whole ordeal i have been very blessed with a busy week at work that has that really prevented me <laughs> from diving too deep down the rabbit hole on this which is a, a truly a blessing to my mental health um but Lucky. From from glancing at it, from you know talking through it, from the takes on Twitter, the major takeaway is consistently with me the use of unnamed sources, and I think what's really important to recognize is that the use of unnamed sources isn't a bad thing when it is accentuating a point rooted in a sourced like a named source or rooted in something that is really really concrete. And it's no mystery as to why there would be a lot of unnamed sources, because there's two reasons for it. One, it's a nefarious, you know, oh, but, you know, the oh, the retribution from Bill, which sounds asinine because Bill is not happy with how things went either. That's why they're changing things. The other side of that is that they did they did a bunch of unnamed sources because they utilized only people who agreed with them they used other reporters they used you know very specific players and the big thing to me is you should be announced you should be talking about who you talk to it doesn't mean you have to name them necessarily and name everybody but you should be talking oh we talked to 30 staffers and these and we have 10 on the record in this report that would tell me, okay, one out of three people they talked to agreed with this. Otherwise, you end up with confirmation bias. And what that is, is you talk to 40 people, 
and three people agree with you and you use the three people to build the nefar the story you want to build out and that's nonsense because you don't know how often they're using the same source you don't like i i think that's a level of transparency that has been lost overall in a lot of sports media stories over the last several years is that they've no longer decided that unnamed sources are sort of the whipped cream and toppings and cherry it's the ice cream and that's where you run into a problem this you should be building it on substance and they're building it on the whipped cream and it's a real it's a real issue with a lot of reporting and that's why it's no surprise to me that the mcbrides and reeses of the world haven't chimed in maybe not necessarily because they don't agree or they might not know that there's some people who feel that way but because it's not the general impression quote unquote and i hate the quote inside the building if it's not the general impression they're not going to really bemoan it you also are at a time of year where people are going to be losing their jobs. Bill, you know, it, it, it's dangerous to say who would who is attributing the bill fucked us and exactly in what context bill fucked us was used. I mean, could that be, you know, because you could say, oh, yeah, that's Kendrick Bourne. That's this. That's a yeah. On the flip side of the coin, it could also be Matt Patricia. Saying, hey, I didn't like the position I was in this year, and he's not coming back next year more often, more likely than not by some reports. And, you know, it seems like Judge is very likely to come back based on the retraction they've already had to make associated with this story. Um, but there's plenty, of, you know, Cam Eckord would probably be a little uh, miffed if he's going to lose his spot as the special teams coordinator. Like, there's a lot of people that in the shifting agenda, in this time, there would be an agenda because the shifting roles within the organization are happening. So overall, like, yeah, after a bad year, I would be surprised if people weren't pissed. I'm not saying they didn't get these quotes. Nothing here is made up. Somebody said what they said. What I'm wondering is just how many people did you talk to? Is it the large mass of people that you talk to that agree? And of those people, who are the people who already have one foot out the door because they know they're not coming back? And there might be a little bit of an axe to grind there. Those are pieces of context that would really give us more and where's the other side? Did you uh, did you interview did you interview any people who said differently than what you were trying to convey? Because if you didn't, well, then it's already a rigged game. That would and be that, too easy, trick. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what I'm talking about with confirmation bias. There, it's an old psychological thing. You know, if you watch a highway all day and you count the red cars and only count the red cars, and you say at the end of the day there's 200 red cars that drove by. Wow, a lot of people must drive red cars. But you don't see that there's more black cars and there's more blue cars and there's more gray cars. You're ignoring all of the other data that's coming in to prove the point you wanted to. You're trying to verify a hypothesis and no longer treating it as a hypothesis, but a foregone conclusion that you're just looking to justify with some qualitative evidence in terms of these interviews. And that's just not... It's not good reporting, just like it wouldn't be good science. A confirmation bias is a dangerous thing in journalism. And so it's it that really is a question. How many that's why I want to know how many people did you talk to and how many are sourced in the story? It's a really easy thing to say. Hey, talk to 40 people on the Pats organization. Talk to 15 people who cover the team on the beat, and 20 of the Patriots are sourced in this story, and 10 of the reporters are sourced. Well, that's a pretty high ratio. That gives me a little more credence and confidence in your story. If you have one named source, hey, somebody who's already got a foot out the door decides to go on the record. One named source changes a lot about this. Tells you where the where, where that's coming from. Gives more flavor to the story. And the other people are supporting what is already said by somebody who is willing to put their name on the record. It's hard, but that's journalism. And so I really think that it's it's, you know... A, 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 an understanding of how many people are sourced and how many people were spoken to would give us a, a much clearer impression of how 
relevant the story is. But I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that they didn't talk to people. It's just the way the story is framed allowed for the response on Twitter. And that's getting back to Shaq's point right off the start, where it's, you know, it, you always say the cover up is worse than the crime. The coverage is worse than the story here and i think it's that's the that's the key of this is that the unnamed sources and the the allowance to just sort of run with this without the context that could be provided really allowed for conspiracy theories to run rampant and for sort some sort of unnecessary you know leaps in logic to happen on twitter.com and i think that's really where my, my issue lies with it it's not terrible journalism it's bad journalism with worse response to it yeah i um Quickly, I want to make note of before I forget, um, in regards to the lack of reaction from Jim McBride and Mike Reese, I find it very ironic that those are the only two guys on the beat who have sources in the building, who have actual proven sources in the building. Them two in field aides are the only ones, besides Schefter and, and, and Rappaport, are the only ones who have good sources in the building that ever break anything. And I think that's really important to note. And, and I'll touch on really quick on the... Um, confirmation bias you see that every day in absolutely everything and it is incredibly dangerous in journalism and reporting but you see it every day but i mean across sports politics whatever it's you're exactly right in saying that so i just want to agree with you on that point and bill you you mean we were talking about the reaction uh for some odd reason one guy in particular had a very strong reaction to this article and it started as soon as the article came out, almost. Uh, Kari Thompson, he of WEI and NBC Sports uh, Takes Boston, uh, just with, you know, first, his first uh, tweet about the article, he posts a short thread filled with screenshots of the article saying, oh, there's literally so much to that Peregrine Andrew Callahan article about the Patriots offense that I can't quote just one thing. So let me highlight my favorite part. See? favorite parts oh you oh you like that you like reading about the dysfunction of an organ of of uh the supposed dysfunction of an organization hmm very interesting so and then he comes back with i get that not everybody does report not i get that not everybody does reporting knows how the sausage is made but i'm amazed at how many people still complain about the use of anonymous sources especially in the sports world Believe it or don't, that's your call. But when trustworthy people say stuff, bend your ear. <laughs> to me, that's the most, that's hilarious because do you not understand why there are re like readers, especially Boston sports fans who've been subjected to the, I would say, the worst sports media in the entire country? Don't you think we might be a little bit more uh, skeptical, <laughs> for lack of a better term? considering all the Boston sports media stories over the last 20 years that have been proven to be false. And this, no, this is not a, uh, a, you know, fake news type of thing where, oh, everything, every, everything that we, that is against us is fake. No, that's not what it's about. It's about literally there have been stories that have been printed by people who are still in the business to this day, Tomasi, who have lied and have 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 totally uh, dismembered the character of the Patriots and are still working today. But we're not supposed to be skeptical of that. We're not supposed to. And then and then he says he doesn't know the history. You don't know the history of 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 what has happened here, and you're working in this market. Then you need to leave. 
at that point because there's no point in you if you don't know the history of 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 the lying of the Ron Borgeses of the world of of the Shaughnessys if, if you don't know the history of that you have no business in this market not not knowing the history isn't an excuse when Ben Volen traipsed all over it a couple months ago like right. this isn't hard it's not about you know it, it, it it's that journalists on whole and you know generally i'm not a and it pro probably runs counter to a lot of what people would think based on how we talk about the media and the podcast generally i think media overall are cautious and work hard and like i i that's a it's a tough profession i get it i think it's just you know sports journalists and in particular ones that are using the hot takes that and get away with that in there in, in you know in areas like boston are you know dragging down the reputation of journalists in general but that said it's not you know it's you're you're a group whether you like it or not you're a group and when there's been consistent time and again issues rolling out stories that are fake all that they have to hold the, to now is I trust these people. We're big in the Entitled Podcast Network on Never Vouch. The journalists right now, today, are really lucky that Twitter didn't exist in 2001. Because that story would have come out about, you know, tape. They, they were spying on the Rams practice, Tomasi. And all that would have happened is you would have seen people saying, when somebody has sources like Tomasi does, believe them. You know, oh, Tomasi has a reputation as a, as a journalist. Bend your ear and listen. Those all would have been said before the retraction was printed. Because this is all within 24 hours of the story coming out that everybody backed up the compliment truck. I'm not saying, and again, I don't think this story is unfounded. I'm not claiming that. But what I'm saying is the concept that we should just bend our ear and listen because somebody is trustworthy goes against everything we've seen in this market over the past 20 years because we've seen it with several times. And the first time we actually see people back up and, and ridicule somebody for it is Volan, which is sort of like, you know, you know, kick it, you know, yelling over to an insult over to the kid that sits alone at the lunch table. Like nobody liked Volan to begin with. So it was an easy, low hanging fruit. But the next time, because there will be a next time, somebody gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar, what's going to happen there? And if it's one of these individuals that is has been, oh, bend your ear and trust them, how do you back up and then criticize them? Or do you double down on it and prove that you're that you don't care about the accuracy? It's caring about, you know, being glad handy with your friends in the field. I don't necessarily care what somebody thinks of if I agree or disagree with a story. I have every right to disagree with the story. And I think that, you know, they I think that wasn't the point of the comment to say I don't, but the concept of when somebody trustworthy, no, I no, I'm sorry. When a market has proven itself journalistically, has proven itself to be lacking in the ability to build trust with its readers over a 20 year span, you have to earn that back. You have to earn that back with quality reporting over time. And the way you earn that back is not with unnamed sources. You have to earn it back with more depth, more understanding, and more tact in how you report. That's the only way that they're going to build that back. And it's not, you know, it's not the fault of these reporters that the reputation is trashed. It's really not. And I like to a point that's not on them, but they have to understand the climate 
and the world that they're living in right now. They have to understand the population of people that they're reporting to, and they have to understand the past transgressions of people in their market that have made a lot of sports fans jaded about the way that their teams are reported on. But before you go, Joe, uh, I just want to say they have such a high a high standard of what they think of themselves that, again, folks like Kari who think that they're they're unco- and, and people like this who, again, the reaction to this article was like they were uncovering uh, like a Watergate scandal. Like they think so highly of themselves. They think that they this is it's sports journalism. It's not it's not changing people's lives. We're talking about sports here. So, yeah. I feel like they they don't know their audience. I feel like they're like we're sports fans, but it, it you're if I feel like you're treating it as if it's something much more higher higher standard than you know say you know healthcare or something along those lines where where everything you everything you say has to be treated with you know kid gloves. But but you're but when you're coming out here saying oh well we're better than you. Because or we're better than you, loyal, uh, lowly fan. Because you don't have the access that we do. You don't have the the uh, the information that we get, and you know we don't we don't have the, you don't have the access to the emails that we get from the NFL NFL media. Which, by the way, um, I was in the media and I get that NFL email every week. So you know you have nothing on me on that front. But um, and that's not a braggadocious thing. It's just that you're, you're you're treating yourself as if you're higher than what you really are. And with that comes the arrogance of, well, this story, we, you're saying that all we're saying is just be a little bit more cognizant of who you, who your audience is, because it's, you're not doing yourself any favors when you come out with articles like this. And then the moment there's a, even a little bit of pushback, it's all, oh, well, you, you don't, you have no room to talk because you're not in the room with us, the room. And that, come on, like th- there, there's no reason for that. All right, go ahead, Joe. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll make a point on a few things. So keep it, keep it quick. Um, we, we just posed the question, Bill and Jack. You just did that. Their, that their readers and the fan base knows better, and that they're jaded by these fake stories. But, and I understand that we do. But what do we think the real percentage of people out there that don't eat this shit up? I, I, I think the, the, I mean, the general population eats this shit up. And I don't get it. I don't understand why. I don't understand why. It's definitely why. low. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I think crazy. It's, I think it's a correlation. The more I think the more you pay attention to sports, the more skeptical you are of the reports that are coming out. So it's yes. it's, it's about the level of fandom. And that's okay. I mean, that's that's, and that's, right, and that's right? fine. Yeah, Absolutely. Because I mean, yeah, because I mean, the, 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 I mean, the mass general people in the area are are are. are casual sports fans which is great absolutely i wish i could be more of a casual sports fan but my hobbies are deaded somewhere else so but but that's the problem because the casual sports fan takes it as gospel and they just take it at their word which is again like we said dangerous right the casual sports fan in boston probably has a preconceived notion that bill belichick is not a good coach without tom brady right the general population probably has a preconceived notion that that I don't know Tatum's a crybaby or or what have you any of these any of these terrible narratives at the radio and it, it push every single day instead of just taking it for what it's worth and being grateful that this city has given us city and sports teams have given us so many moments of happiness over the last 20 plus years 30 plus years we are we are the best sports city in the world 
in the world. I can confidently say that with the success we've had, especially in my lifetime, right? So I'll get off the, I'll get that off my chest. But no, Bill, you said you said it. It's definitely a hard profession. It's a hard profession to get into and get respect out of. And this article and 99.99% of the shit that gets pushed out of that beat is the easy road, the hot take road, the, the, um, the, what, uh, what do you it's just content, say? The... Co- it's content creation. You're trying, you gotta get, gotta get stuff out of there. Regardless if it's true or not, it's content creation. That's all it is. Right. And I, I, I and, and the bias, the, the confirmation bias, it's, 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 it's low hanging fruit and, 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 it's the easy way to get engagement. Tomasi making it in today's day and age of Tomasi made an article saying, "Hey, uh, the Patriots cheated in Super Bowl 36." That would be a massive, massive engagement story. Not true. It's a lie. And and it and and like you said, Bill, it's a hard profession to get into. But you can't pull shit like that, especially for people who do pay attention, right? And that's why, again, it's dangerous for people who kind of pay attention because they'll take it for what it's worth. So that's 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 where that's where it lies. That's where that this article really peeves me is that the people that the 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 ninety percent of the people the, the high percentage of people who are just taking it for oh we got a Patriots article oh my god Bill Belichick really oh my god he really did fuck them Mac must hate him and it's that people will run with that. And it's crazy. It's crazy because I'm sure you guys see it every day when you're talking. You're talking to people at work or whatever, and they'll just they'll just say it so casually. And you have to do everything in your energy to just not be like, "Are you kidding me? Why would you believe that? Why are you reading that shit?" Oh, oh, but yeah, no. I mean, Kari Thompson really, really, I guess, wanted Karen and and Andrew Callahan to know that that article was just their magnum opus. They really nailed it. They really, oh my god, so. No, <laughs> I'm good on this topic. <laughs> Gonna get worked up. Um, I I wanted to point out what you were talking about when you said, uh, wait, you said something about the the well, really it's the Boston, it's people, it's people and their consumption. Now we, it goes back to that whole thing about uh, are we the bad guys? Are we the are we the idiots? Because look. I, I'll, I'll admit I'm I'm a kooky nut patriot nut that watches Bill Belichick press conferences. Okay, but the thing about it is they're accessible. You have internet. You have if you're using Twitter, you have the internet. Assumedly, right? You have a phone. You have a computer, right? So they're perfectly accessible. You can go to patriots.com. You can go on their YouTube. You can go on their Twitter. They post the Bill Belichick press conferences. So anytime. You have, you need something, the, the information is right there. I feel as if it's a, at this point, it's a willingness to be ignorant and to want, again, giving people, it goes back to giving people what they want. They want, they, these reporters know that what the fans want is to be assured that, yeah, Matt Patricia sucked, Joe Judd sucked, Matt Jones hated them all, Bill Belichick is the one that needs to take blame in all of it. And so they give it to them. They hand, you know, when you go to McDonald's, you, you're not expecting, you're not expecting a full course meal. You're expecting French fries that'll fatten you up. So that's why you're going there. Because you want it that way. So you're, you're, you're getting, you're giving them what they want. And so I think that these, at this point, um, if you're, if you're going to these people and you're expecting something different, then it's your fault. 
because the information is there for you. The the right people are there for you to get the information from. And if you're not getting and if you're not getting them from those people, if you choose to listen to the 985s of the world, the the Boston Heralds of the world who are going to sell you a bunch of bullshit, it's your fault. And I don't want to sound like that. It sounds callous. But at this point, I have no I have no sympathy for those people who are fooled by that. Shaq, I just want to say, just to tack onto it, if it's the reason that the article doesn't bother me as much as the response is because it's not that illuminating. I mean, and that's not, to, again, not insulting the people who wrote it. It's insight to something is critical. I understand the need to report on how a season went. I'm not like, really, I'm, I, it sounds like I'm giving them a complete pass and I'm, I'm really not to that, but I'm, I'm largely oh, not yeah. bothered by it because if that's the magnum opus, it shows how low the bar has been set in Boston media because it's a story about a project. Like any of us who a story have, about it's it's Seinfeld a story about nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a story about nothing, but it's a, anybody who's managed a project before has managed a project that hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go. And when that happens, then the blame cascade happens. Who's being blamed for what? Who's doing? Let's talk about how to do this better the next time. And it's, you get mad about things. I'm not surprised by somebody saying, "Oh, Bill fucked us." Bill's the project manager. You know who you, bl- you know who the buck stops with when a project doesn't go well? The project manager. Again, not illuminating, not revolutionary. It's not surprising. I would be more surprised if it was all positive vibes only after a disappointing season for the Patriots. So it just it, the, the article doesn't bother me because the story doesn't bother me because it's not that illuminating and it doesn't mean that there's some sort of long-term hostility. It just means that the project didn't go well. As in describing this project as the Patriots, you know, 2022 season, it didn't go well. They're on to the next project and they're going to try to learn from that project and do better. And if people are saying this, you know, this so-and-so fucked us, maybe they don't want to work on a project with that project manager again. And that's normal and that's fine. And that's what free agency and the trade market and releases and everything else is for. That's the way the world works with project management. And we can owe it like there's a thousand things to football, but at the end of the day, it's one big project management piece that starts with bill and if people are criticizing bill for how this year went it's a it buck stops with him and he would say that he'd want the criticism he always has exactly so going back to the new scoop well the uh new new school new regime meaning the old regime uh bill o'brien is the offensive coordinator now and we've been talking in the thread about this um entire uh situation and uh, first of all what are your overall opinions on this and to me i don't i think that they're not done i think that they're going to be reshuffling the deck as it will and i i I don't think that this is the last thing that they're going to do and the fact that they've done this and the fact that bill o'brien is is essentially going to be is a part of the east west shrine game uh staff uh a contingent there and the fact that he's going to be uh essential in the interviews and along with Gerard Mayo uh I don't think that they're done so what do you guys think no they're, they're not they're not done and uh, I'll be quick because I've probably used all the oxygen in my room at the start here um but super quickly um the big thing to me I saw the report that they were bringing in and flying in Ryan Wendell 
um, to come in to potentially talk about the offensive line position. I, in particular, would love that move for two reasons. One, former Patriot understands the systems that they've used previously, would understand what Bill O'Brien was looking to install. The second piece is that I do think it's somebody that Dante Scarnecchia would be in the ear of. And I, I would imagine already has been as he's been breaking into the coaching world. But if you could mentor somebody like Ryan Wendell with Skarnecchia sort of serving that that supervisory role, understanding it would be sort of unofficial or, you know, even if it was to some extent official, that would be a huge get. So I, I really think Wendell would be an excellent fit for that offensive line position. Um, certainly, you know, based on what last year was certainly an upgrade over having Matt Patricia take on that posi- that particular position. Um, and somebody who would really understand the Patriot system without being sort of a, you know, a, a, a similar face or an, a, an older voice to the people that are in that locker room. And maybe a new voice might be what they need in regards regard. to that offensive line play after this past season. Yeah, um, totally agree. Did not even think about the Skarnecchia point, the Ryan Rindell side of things. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a huge get. I like the fact that they're interviewing, I know they're interviewing Clem and him, um, specifically for the O-line. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really pleased with, with the, with the construction of the offensive staff so far. Um, obviously Bill O'Brien being, having experience here and having success here running an offense, um, Makes me excited. Uh, he, he, his offense was, I believe, at least above average for the time when Deshaun Watson wasn't even a Texan yet. Um, and just his overall grasp of the game. I, I, I'm really excited for what for what he can bring to the table. And out of all the candidates, um, he was probably the most sexy pick. And I think he was also the safest pick, right? I know they were talking, people wanted Kingsbury. They wanted um, LaFleur's uh, brother out of the Jets or, or who have you, or who who. Who have you? I know Justin Ramos wanted Sean McVay, but not everyone can have Sean McVay. So he's the greatest coach of all time. Thank you, Seth Wickersham. But yeah, no, I'm just excited with the construction of the staff and the due diligence that they're doing and in the amount of guys that they, they brought into the room. Like the, the McCardell uh, interview was 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 eye-opening just because I didn't realize the success he was having. So um, to bring in a guy like that is to just I don't know. I'm just I'm looking I'm looking forward to, to what the offense will look like this next year and the in the lack of talk about the offensive coordinator and play calling position. The fact that there'll be stability there is one less thing that 98.5 will shove down our throats. Uh, one last thought uh, as we progress through. Not that a ton of jobs have been filled at this stage, but it is interesting to note that Nick Cayley has yet to secure a new position. Um, and so the longer that goes, the more possibility we're keeping a, a bright, young, offensive mind in our system. Um, I certainly don't think he would have been ready to be the offensive coordinator. I think that would have received a massive amount of blowback if it was, oh, so the new offensive coordinator is a guy that was in the building helping with the offense last year. I, I don't think that would have provided the change that the players might have been looking for. So I understand why they wouldn't have gone in that direction. But I think he's a heck of a young coach. Um, and as positions more and more become filled, I'm hopeful that we get to keep him for at least one more season. I'd imagine that he's going to be on a short list of offensive coordinators and the like in the very near future. So, you know, if we can keep him for one more year, um, sort of go along with Bill O'Brien, coach some other people up, which I think is wonderful with uh, Billy O'B being at the um, – at the bowl game this week as well, because that allows for him to look at some of the uh, coaches on the staff and assess their strengths, weaknesses, where he wants to position them moving forward. Um, so all in all, really exciting, but uh, Kaylee would be a wonderful keep if we can keep him. Yeah, cool. So on that front, I think that there's still more to come 
And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard some more stuff after uh, either the Super Bowl or before the new league year starts in March. So we'll see on that front. Now let's get to some uh, fun stuff uh, or not fun, but um, some idiocy from uh, the ringer because I've been, you, you know, <laughs> we haven't uh, done a pod in about three weeks and the ringer has just been on a, well, a dumb fest. Uh, th- but this clip in particular is just so dumb and it's filled with all your favorites and Ironhead, uh, you can fast forward through this part because you're going to hate it. Um, even though I know you've already listened to it. Uh, it's uh, it's Brian Barrett, Bill Simmons and Kevin Hench, who I don't know who that is, but uh, I, I, I'm, I guess I should be glad I don't. Um, it, this is all about them talking about if Bill Belichick will be back as the coach of the Patriots next season. Um, of course, bef- right before this clip was posted online, <laughs> it was announced that Bill Belichick announced that he would be back for a 24th season. So, you know, who cares about research these days, right? But uh, just listen to how idiotic this clip is because it's that and more. All right, let me give you a scenario. If you had to pick one of the two, yeah, Max the quarterback. Bill's gone. Like Max stays, or what would you rather have? Bill stay as the coach and Max gone, or Max stay as the quarterback and Bill's gone. Ooh. I have to stop there because oh my gosh, like I I can't. Like, that was Brian Barrett, and I could imagine listening to that for an hour. Wow, new, new record for longest time I've ever been able to listen to that that podcast. Jesus Christ. I mean, we've been circling this for 20 minutes. Do we think Bill is going to be the coach next year? Because I really genuinely believe there's some Kraft Belichick stuff going on now. And I I just think Kraft is old. Wow. Shocker. I think he's a huge passion. I, I think- also, wow. Shocker. Um, he's breaking news, guys. Kraft is old. Stunner. <laughs> news at 11. I can't believe it. He loved being the big swinging dick in town, and he has now been replaced by the Celtics and the Bruins. Yeah, say that to all, say that to the 19 years that people have been on season tickets. So, you know, that not a big deal. Swinging right? dick. No signature player. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, people are like, what happened to the Pats this year? And he, yeah, what, happen, say, what happened to the. Everywhere he goes. Yeah, did he say no signature player? Yeah, he said no signature player. No, no, it's no signature quarterback. And that's okay with you've got a second-year player. Yeah, uh, signature players are on that team. Let's let's give Kyle Duggar and his ascension its due. He hates it. And he's 81. He just remarried somebody who's younger than me and Hench. What does any of this have to do with Bill Belichick <laughs> coming back? Bill Belichick's <laughs> being fired because he wants to hire a hotter, younger coach. <laughs> and, and All those points have no correlation. Kraft having a girlfriend who's younger than him. So look, I'm going to fire with Belichick. <laughs> Nat- naturally. What happened? Have you seen the GIF where it's just no correlation? And it's like a, it's like a, I don't know what it's called, but it's a right. graph with no points. Yeah, it's like a, that's like the L graph. <laughs> if you have, if you have <laughs> described a GIF on your bingo board, mark it on off. <laughs> yeah, bingo. Be good again. And what he doesn't want to deal with is this guy that he's dealt with for 20 plus years who's, Abrasive. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's unbelievable. 
full. I, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't listened to this whole clip. And I'm, I, I, this is unbelievable. And just, he kind of does his own thing and doesn't want to hear. He does his own thing. <laughs> I, I, hold on. I love that we need to, like, when you're looking at this in retrospect, he does his own thing. There's a rift. There's this, there's that. And then and Bill then Belichick Bel- personally announced that he's coming back. And there's a press release that comes out that shows that Belichick and Kraft are on the same page and reports come out after. Oh, yeah. Bill saw that yeah. press release before it came out like that was ca- talked about. So, oh, yeah. Bracev does things his own way, except for everything that happened post this podcast. Oh, and by the way, Ger- oh, by the way, Gerard Mayo is is right next to him and <laughs> throughout all the interviews that he's doing. Yeah, but he's, he's doing his own thing. He hates Belichick so much. I love him. God bless him. I'm so glad he passed through my life. But he's probably at the point in his life where he's like, I don't want to deal with this guy anymore. Like, where does he get any of this? And there's there's still 27 seconds in this clip. There's still 27 seconds left in this clip. Like, what is being said here? There's nothing. There's nothing to this. I'd rather just, it's almost like where he was in the 90s with the Parcells craft thing. Where it's like, why am I taking shit from Parcells? I own the. Wait, 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 wait. Nope, nope. No. Get, get, getting on my Raymond Berry soapbox here. Hold on. Bill, oh, uh, Bill Parcells was a fucking 500 football coach. He went, he went 32 and 32 in four seasons and was mad that he couldn't shop for the groceries. And then everyone wants to give him credit for the groceries in retrospect. Bill Parcells has as much in common with Bill Belichick as head coach of the New England Patriots as I do with Tom Brady. We might have been in the same building once or twice. We might have, you know, I might have seen them from afar. But we, uh, there is nothing else in common between the two. It is asinine. Bill Parcells might be the fifth best coach in the history of New England Patriots. Fifth best. Bill Belichick, Dante Scarnecchia, Raymond Berry. And let me see. I have three or four I could go with. Ivan Fears would certainly Ivan qualify. Fears, yes. Would yes. certainly qualify. Um, I think that you could make a, and you know, I'm obviously going assistant coaches here as well, but Josh McDaniels, I think, could qualify. Yeah. I think Romeo Cornell could qualify. Charlie Weiss could qualify. You could make a reasonable case for him being the seventh or eighth, eighth best and most impactful coach in the history of the New England Patriots. And that is not hall of fame worthy but thank you bill simmons this is i i feel like Ironhead when somebody mentions blood so i'm shaking it's it's just it's the shake. most irritating shit in the world to compare bill parcells to bill belichick in any way shape or form fuck you bill simmons continue the team i know it's wife, gonna come to a head one way or the other impatient because my wife was like hey this team that i'm stealing from your son this team that i'm gonna inherit in 18 months uh is <laughs> I was told they were good. Oh, <laughs> I was told they were good. Okay, I didn't. I, you know, that was that other guy. Is he added nothing? Is the joke there that Robert Kraft is going to die? He's old, and, and he's got a young wife. We heard that from Bill Simmons. He made that point very clear. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. He is the, you know, he's the NFL's Ric Flair. He's not knock, knock, knocking on death's door, which like, who knows in life what's going to happen. But at the same token, like, she, like laughing and joking about when you croak, I'm going to take it over. I thought it was a good team. <laughs> Hysterical. You, our mortality is a lot of fun to discuss here on the, you know, up the up the pike and up your ass podcast. Up, up the yeah, up the ass podcast. Looks like exactly. Kevin Munch is zero for one on jokes on the ringer. So sorry, buddy. Off to a hot start. 
Mm-hmm. Jesus that zero. Christ, that, in, that entire clip was, oh, I, I, I'm glad I didn't listen to it previously, or maybe I should have, but wow. What, whatever, the, whatever the opposite of, of an erection is, I have that right now. Yeah, exactly. I think my mind just wants just wants it to fall off at, at this point. Yeah, but, yeah. That, yeah. It, it's it's like frostbite. It's like it's like but you know it's like Prince you know Prince William Harry's frostbite penis or whatever the the big hot story of the <laughs> the year has been there. Yeah, but that's not all from from the ringer. Um, Roger Sherman a, again, another asshole who pops up. You know, every I guess every once a year, like Groundhog Day, um, also has thoughts about Bill Belichick again. This is during the uh, Bill O'Brien uh, hireation um, announcement. He says, at this point, Bill Belichick basically only hires former assistants returning for a second stint, former Patriots players, his literal sons. As if, as if all of those things are problems, as if that you, you have to deviate from all of those things, as if it's, as if, it's if you don't do, if you don't hire anyone else, if you hire uh, these three things, that means I guess you're unqualified or something. It's, it's, I mean, first of all, plenty of his former assistants have had pretty damn good careers. I mean, he's coached some of the greatest players of all time. If they play for him, they're likely very disciplined. They likely have a, a high football IQ. And then his little son <laughs> led an elite defense this year and previous years. So it, it, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I'm I'm just gonna add weren't you know wasn't the fodder in like 2011 2012 on you know every sports radio station that they were hiring a guy from a mining college and that they were hiring all these unproven new guys and like the hubris of Bill Belichick to bring in all these unproven people like he can do it all and now the criticism is why isn't he bringing in these new unproven guys the hubris of Bill Belichick to just keep bringing in the same you can't have that argument both ways. He's bringing in different people at different times for different purposes. When you have a veteran team, you can bring in young coaches that will excel that have come from outside your system. When you have a young team, you should bring in experienced coaches. That's why 01 was, you know, the 01 through 04 was Weiss and Cronell and that crew. Then he starts building up a new coaching staff and you get your Patricias and you get your McDaniels and you get your, you know, you get your Floreses and you get mayo and you get and now that they're at a point where they've got a younger team again the proven the coaches that have proven themselves in the system are established and will continue and but they want to bring in experienced people who understand their system and can coach it appropriately to a younger team so that the players can start to lead that as well while they bring in new talent into the coaching pipeline in entry-level positions and what have you and can promote them over time it's a pretty set standard if something is new you want to build veteran experience around it that's just a common happening. Why do you think Joe Flacco is sitting behind Zach Wilson in New York? Why do you think that a lot of these instances are veteran quarterbacks who either start a year and get replaced by rookie quarterbacks or, you know, sit behind them? It's because you want a veteran. Think about Brian Hoyer. Veteran experience behind young quarterbacks matters. Just like veteran coaching matters to younger teams and young and veteran players matter to younger coaches. It all helps season everybody appropriately to be part of what is what the Patriots want to build over time. That like I, I just you can't have it both ways. You can't be criticizing him in 2011 for bringing in all the unproven guys and then criticizing him today for things that are, you know, for bringing in proven established guys. It's just, it's a nonsense argument. 
Yeah, I think anything less than them bringing in a Mike McDaniel-esque type hiring is going to be a loss from the media and the fans just because that's what they've been told is what's great and what's buttery. Someone like that. Uh, but yeah, like like we said, Bill's got a, a very, very vast background of of successful um, coaches in his in his coaching tree and what have you. And, and, and not for nothing, he's had at least two players off the top of my head who are going to be head, co- head coaches in this league in Gerard Mayo and Mike Vrabel, who at least at the, at the surface, Mike Vrabel has had some success. So um, yeah, I mean, every, every, everything that Belichick does obviously is overanalyzed and done so in a disingenuous manner. Um, but to bring up hiring his sons now really looks stupid, like you said, Shaq. Bill Bel- or Steve Belichick is leading last year what was an elite defense um, that really carried this team at times. So, so that that is that is lazy, and it, it comes from a disingenuous place. And I apologize, my cat just bit me. So um, I'm gonna move on to the next point and keep it moving. Well, while Joe recovers from that uh, cat bite, um, let's talk about uh, real quick. The uh, well, I want to talk about the Bills because, um, well, first of all, the Jets are relevant, and the Bills, and and here we go again with Kari Thompson. Um, I, I think he was the one that was well all um, earlier in the week. You know, I guess because he saw a lot of Patriots fans, and rightfully so, uh, celebrating the fact that the Bills were eliminated from the playoffs again in a in a playoff game. Without it, without a Super Bowl, and you know, it, it, and apparently he was all like, "Oh well, your te- well your team isn't good either, so you shouldn't be celebrating." I'm and I, I'm like, that team is my that that team is my favorite team's rival. I will celebrate their downfall every step of the way because they. You mean to tell me Bills fans weren't doing the same thing when the Patriots lost in Super Bowls? Please, but um, my whole thing with the Bills is to me. I always thought that they, this season especially, that they were front runners. I mean, they were picked to win the Super Bowl by lots of different outlets, NFL Network at all. And it just seems to me that they got to huge leads and they couldn't really, they, they, they didn't really go, go through a lot of adversity. And to me, it was proven in, with the Bengals last week. They pretty much pushed their shit in and from the, from the moment... Uh, the ball was kicked off and they couldn't really recover. And I think that's the game plan you have to play for the bills. And now uh, they're they're a year older. Their cap is, is going to be a mess. And I think that this was their one year to win. And I think that this is, this is going to be interesting to see what happens with, with the AFC East now. I I think it comes down to what's the, you know, what do the bill, what are the bills going to become? And this is a, a critical offseason for their general manager. It's a critical offseason for their team. Um, you know, looking at their salary cap, and I, I pulled it up while you were talking, Shaq. I mean, you're looking at the top three, six, nine, the top nine players on their roster are all making t- um, $10.7 million or more next year. 
and you can get almost no savings from any of them. Von Miller has 40 million dead cap if you were to cut him, which would be a $22 million increase. So he's around for next season. Um, you, you know, it's it's just there's astronomical cap hits across the board. Um, 40, 60, like you're talking well over like 140, 150 million of the 225 wrapped up in nine guys, which isn't, you know, not, not that's not like a, a doom piece, but it's incredible to look at what they've got roster wise. And I believe they had 32 ish players previously um, on their, And now there's some futures contract signed, which are low dollar. So they're listing on sports track, but with the draft picks with everything else, they're projected to fall about $21 million over the cap based on sports track for next season. So you've got to make some moves there. And a lot of your top guys can't, the big thing is that your depth is going to really take a hit. And that's, you know, your depth is going to take a hit. You might lose some critical free agent guys. Um, they've been pairing um, Poyer and um, why am I blanking on is that Hyde? The other guy there. Yeah. Poyer po- and Hyde. They've been pairing them for a while. And I believe Poyer is a free agent this off season. It's very likely that they could lose Poyer. Um, and so you have to make, you have to hope you hit the draft. You have to hope you can really, you know, assess the trade market well. Um, and then you've got to start borrowing from future years. If you really want to like make a splash in this season and start restructuring Allen's deal, restructuring Diggs's deal to push money into later years. But that's a dangerous game because at a certain point you're on the hook for those dollars. They don't just disappear. So it, it, it's it's much more about how they want to control their roster building over the next few years. And so, you know, their offensive line has always been a little bit piecemeal as well. It's a solid group, but, you know, it feels like it, they're developing it year by year. And if they were to take a step back in their offensive line next season, they already struggled with a run. If they gave up a lot more pass rush than they did this year, you could really talk about endangering your biggest investment with Allen. So critical offseason for them. I don't want to say that they're never going to win one at this point, um, but it, it certainly is going to be harder than it was last year and harder than it was the year before. And they've taken steps back each of the last two seasons. If they continue that trajectory, you have to think that this is a critical season, not only from the, will they win a title standpoint, but also will the coach and GM keep their job standpoint as well. Yeah. I, I, I think when I think of the bills, um, a moment that really sticks with me about how they were covered and how the media darlings is after they beat us in the playoffs last year. I just remember Diana Rossini running around um, the field, like just like lushing over, over Josh Allen and basically making him out to be Superman. And granted they kicked our ass that night and he did look like Superman, but just the way that they, they, the bills are covered by the media seems really, really weird to me. I mean, granted, this year, they they looked very flawed at times. They they had barely any run game. I mean, they and they lost games in horrible fashion. They the game they lost to the Vikings. What were they doing? They were absolutely front runners, like you said, Shaq. Um, and even in games like the second game against us, that was a very winnable game for us in week seven or week eighteen. If it wasn't for those two kickoff return touchdowns, I wouldn't be shocked if the lowly Patriots went in and beat them at home in a in a in a pretty important game in a game where they were very emotionally charged. The bills were and, and out to win it. So um, I could see, I, I saw there was a lot of national disappointment in the, in the bills failure in the postseason this year, not regionally, not from us. And you're damn right. I'm going to celebrate them losing because I'm petty and I'm a sports fan. That's the point of doing it. I'm not here for, it, it, does it make me a dick that, that I want, I, I'm was rooting against the bills. No, who cares? Does, I'm, a, I'm a Patriots fan. 
Don't tell me how to be a fan. Don't tell me how to. Don't tell me how to consume sports. I'm gonna do it the way I want to because it's a hobby. It's it's at the end of the day, it's all trivial. It doesn't mean anything. Sports. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be happy when the Bills lose. So, yeah, no, they um definitely front runners. And like you said, Bill, you pointed out too, like next year, it's going to be tough for them to improve with the, with the money situation. And it, it also paints a bigger picture for us in, in, in realizing how impressive sustaining the Patriots dynasty was and how impressive it was to do it over four-year periods and then over six-year periods. And if you look back in history, how they reshape rosters and reshape money, and it, I mean, it's pretty easy and, and, and lazy to say that it was just Brady taking less money. We were, we were handing out very large contracts. Like Gronk's extension, the Hernandez extension, we we were paying our guys. Unlike what you ever want to hear, they were paying their guys and they were sustaining a dynasty, which is another notion just of how great Brady and Belichick were, right? So, so yeah. And 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 once and once the bills fall down, there'll be another media darling that will last for three to four years and blow out. And you'll just it, it's just the nature of the NFL, and it's why it's great. It's why there's parity in the fact that the Patriots were able to not have make it so there wasn't any parity in the AFC for so long is incredibly impressive. And people forget the fact that they went to nine straight AFC championship games. That number's right. Nine, right? That's correct. I be- maybe eight. It was okay. eight or nine. Regardless. Like you yeah, don't was nine. see that. You don't see that over time. Especially in a salary cap era NFL, you don't see it. So when people want to slander Belichick and say he's all Brady, it's just so lazy and stupid. But yeah, that's I mean, my take on the bills. I mean, media makes you, you know, the laundry makes me root against Allen a little bit too. But the media really makes it hard to root for Allen, just like the media makes it hard to root for Mahomes. It's, it's not. They both seem like nice guys. Like I have nothing bad to say about them as people. They haven't gone out there and said anything that you know I disagree with. You know, it's not. It, like I have not, you know, same. And like, if I was picking a non-Patriots quarterback, I really like Joe Burrow. There's a lot of likable young quarterbacks in the game, but the media has selected some of them to really, you know, sort of give this watching to that is just so over the top that it re- it, it just makes you dislike th- seeing them win. And great segue, Bill, because speaking of going way over the top. Apparently, this is the this is the annual uh, Mahomes immaculate immaculate incompletion uh, honor day or whatever because I saw it in my TL in my timeline and I just said this is unbelievable an incomplete pass that should have been intercepted in the Super Bowl is now being celebrated as one of the best plays ever and only Chiefs fans would would celebrate something like that even with a Super Bowl victory in the last five years. They still have to have a, an unbelievable play be the highlight of what is essentially an uh, an amazing Hall of Fame potential career in Patrick Mahomes. Like of all the plays that you could pick, that's the one that you're you're, you're pinning your 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 an entire career to. Really, it's it's embarrassing, and I'm sure Mahomes is embarrassed that it keeps coming up. It was in the top hundred plays of that season. An incomplete pass. He, I'm sure he wasn't happy with his performance there. And again, this is where media makes you not like the, you know, the player as much, um, you know, and certainly I'm not big on often being like the, you know, it's like me. I'm a, you know, I'm like an athlete. I, when I was doing some sports in high school, I, I had a really bad performance on a day that a newspaper came to cover the team. And I had been like 
one of the better people on the team that year. They named the article after me. They did an interview with me. To this day, people from that team will send me pictures of that article to make fun of me. And it's like, it's, you know, we, it's, it's all in good fun. We rip about it. It's a good time, but it's like, what the, you know, like, that's what this is to Mahomes is what I have to envision is that it's there, you know, the annual remembrance of the Super Bowl where he got his, you know, his shit punched in. And it's a play that he wants to have back. There's probably an easier completion he could have had. There's probably something else he could have done. Like, you, these players are hypercritical of themselves and Mahomes, I think certainly has to be, to be able to be at the level he is. So to, to put this out there every year, like they think they're like hyping their boy up, but at the same time, they're like, it's, it's low key embarrassing for him to see this all over. Like the play he's most known for isn't some play he made in the Super Bowl that in a winning Super Bowl season, it's an incomplete pass in a complete ass whooping where they lost to the player that he hopes to be at some point, Tom Brady. Like that's, I would be mortified if that kept coming up annually. And these guys have tougher skin than, than most of us do, um, you know, to have to deal with the media that they do. But I, I still can't imagine that he really enjoys seeing that annually. It just doesn't seem like something that if, if any of us were in the shoes of that athlete, we'd want one of the worst games we've ever played to be sort of highlighted. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet earlier. It was a, I forget specifically, I was just looking for it, but basically it was this guy who was praising his brother for gift, gifting him this framed image of that play. And I think I saw someone quote tweeting it go, yeah, I saw how, <laughs> like, how as a sports fan can you put something from a losing Super Bowl framed in, it'd be like if, if in the 18 and one year, I got a framed picture of Brady making that insane, like 80 yard pass to Moss and just looking at right. that every night before I go to bed to make me feel warm inside. No, that was one of the worst nights of my fucking life. All right. I was like 12 years old. It was the worst night of my fucking life. I'm watching that. Why would I want reminders of that? And, and going off of that, I, I did pull up some stats in, in two Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes, the media greatest quarterback in the playoffs ever. Passer rating of 62, 556 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions in two Super Bowl games. And granted, Mahomes is a great quarterback. Mahomes, in my opinion, is the best quarterback in the league at the moment. But you can't, you can't fellatia guy for an incomplete pass. And and I get it. The Chiefs in that game had no healthy offensive linemen from what I remember, I think both their tackles were out and he was running around all day, but they lost by a ton and he looked bad. Why don't like, as a fan, look at the good times. I'm not, I haven't watched the Eagles Super Bowl. I haven't rewatched that game once the, the most recent one that we lost. I haven't rewatched any losing Super Bowl game ever. I don't want to relive any of those moments. I couldn't imagine being a chiefs fan and, and, and pointing to that play. It's it, I, I guess they're new to winning and they don't know how to brag about being successful as a sports fan, but man, that is pathetic that I have to keep seeing that incomplete pass. You got your ass kicked in the Super Bowl and you look back at that. It's insanity. And and what's most telling is, you know, when the book is closed on Mahomes' career, if he's in any way comparable to, to Brady, 
if he goes off and wins a couple of Super Bowls in a, in a set of years and like, you know, he's at five or six rings, like, which is, you know, a, there's a long road to go to get there. It's fucking hard to win rings. But if he were to get to that point, if you're celebrating a play from a game where Tom Brady once again beat Patrick Mahomes head to head in the playoff matchup, circumstances be damned. You're telling on yourself and acknowledging that Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. Because you're saying that in spite of this, you know, cyborg at quarterback for us that made this insane play that no one would ever be capable of. Tom Brady was able to punch their shit in, you know, along with his team for 40, you know, winning by 30 some odd points. Like it's just, you're telling on yourself in so many ways to be posting that Mahomes is incredible. There are so many incredible plays. He does make the play that he did. He made this year where he flipped the ball. It was almost like an overhead flip to the running back where it was sort of like almost like a hook shot in basketball crazy crazy and that was cerebral it wasn't about his arm strength or like it was his improbability and it was his intelligence there's no one around him on the field i need to loft this it's easier to have the angle here that play 50 times better than the incompletion frame that even though it's a regular season frame it if you really want to frame a mahomes play that's an incredibly cerebral play that i really thought showed a lot of you know, maturity and understanding of his position. This is not one of those. This was running around like a chicken with your head cut off, diving towards the ground, heaving a ball that went through the arms of a defender and then hit your guy in the helmet. But he had no shot at catching because the hands of the defender were blocking his eyes. It's just not a good, it's not a good play. And I bet Mahomes under truth serum would say exactly the same. He'd be like crazy athletic. I, I got the ball off. That's great. Terrible, you know, terrible decision. Exactly. So enough about uh, wannabe champions and, and wannabe uh, plays. Let's talk about actual champions uh, before we leave. Uh, Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater, um, it seems as though both of them are are inching towards retirement, even though we haven't gotten hints or, or anything of that nature. But, you know, there are a little bit of clues, you know, uh, Devin McCourty uh, kind of uh, – a, uh, a, what, did, what did he do? He reattached him. Well, not reattached. He unattached himself from the uh, McCourty twins Twitter account that you know both him and his brother would, were, would use for both of their careers. And now he has his own Twitter account. So and now he was on a NFL Network recently. So maybe he's going uh, attempting to do a media career just like his brother. So and, and Matthew Slater with. Whatever he's going to do, I kind of hope that he stays around the Patriots as maybe a, a coach of some sort, or you know, not not like one of those uh, stupid chat planes that, that the Texans had. But uh, both of those guys are top guys, quality guys, and they're going to be they're going to be missed in the Patriots locker room because you know you, you don't guys like that you don't. Uh, you can't coach to be who they are and you can't coach them to be uh, leaders and to be uh, examples of what the younger guys can do. And I think that the year that the, I think the rookies, especially the rookie uh, backs and the rookie defensive backs like Marcus Jones and James Jones, uh, you know, and all those guys, I think that Devin McCourty, especially his leadership, I think that it's it's going to bode well for those guys going into the future. Jack Jones, I meant, not James Jones. Um, so 
what do you guys think of both of them and their future? I um I like I really want to touch on 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 this on these two guys specifically. So I'm, I'm glad that they they've been brought up. Um, there's a lot of times in sports where where people, young kids and, and and younger individuals, look to athletes as role models. In whether it's whether it's a good decision or not, I mean, there's a lot, the majority of athletes I would say are probably not great role models to be for for children in life. And I think with these two specific gentlemen. Um, they absolutely should be role models on and off the field. Um, both unbelievable champions, gracious winners, even better losers. Um, they've done numerous things for 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 the community and outreach. Um, both of them are very charitable. Uh, just both very well spoken too. They're just both great guys, and it's going to be sad to see them go. Um, and and you know what? For what it's worth, they're both still playing at a pretty high level. So, so it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, McCordy, I mean, he came out, he came out of Rutgers. There's the joke that he came out of Rutgers, started as a cornerback and was second in defensive player of the year voting his rookie year. I think he led the league in interceptions or something that year. Um, three-time All-Pro, just unbelievable at safety. We, we don't, we don't talk about enough how seamless his move to safety was and how good of a decision that was from by Belichick and the staff um, slid right over there. It was questioned initially. It was, yeah, and he's just he's just a winner, and he's just been always been very solid. And for what it's worth, he's been able to stay on the field. He's, he was he was like an Ironman. He was very healthy. He, he didn't he didn't suffer many injuries. Um, on the Slater side of things, um, I, I will say it: Slater, Matthew Slater, is a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Yeah, that needs to happen. I think he is the one of the most impactful uh, special teams players of all time. That includes kickers and punters. I think he is he he he. he probably is absolutely the best gunner of all time if that if people that's a position that's even considered um and i think it was important this year i think i think we saw guys like schooler who had an unbelievable year on the special team side of things to get experience under matt matthew slater we take him for granted i know i mean you don't think of it but when there'd be games in over the years where matthew slater was hurt and couldn't play you thought that was a detrimental loss to your football team right and a lot of people wouldn't think of your gunner being that important but Matthew Slater is a difference maker on the special team side of things. And it's sad to see him go this year because the special teams really was not great this year. And it hasn't been for two years. So it will be tough. I think I did read that Reese maybe alluded to a couple weeks ago on his fabulous Sunday notes that he was still itching to play, but it, it looks like they're, they're both not going to. So they will be missed. They are two absolute winners, two great guys on and off the field, um, fan favorites and two massive pieces of the second half of the dynasty of that of that of that three super bowl era um, from 2014 and on so they will be missed yeah i mean i'm i'm not 100 percent ready to close the book on slater quite yet um i think the most telling thing about mccordy was when slater sent him a jersey with you know the inscribed message on it and the whole nine i think that it, it it's pretty clear from all accounts that that McCordy is stepping aside. Um, uh, Joe, I'm not going to hit much beyond what you said there. They're you know incredible humans, incredible players. Um, I've always been a believer in leadership is when attitude meets aptitude, and I think both of them are prime examples of that. Where they have an aptitude to play this game at a high level, and both had to sort of switch positions. 
you know, Matt Slater, you know, he's listed as a wideout, you know, he ideally, you know, everybody wants to be Calvin Johnson everyone wants to be Randy Moss. He found what, what his aptitude was and his attitude and work ethic allowed him to be exceptional at it. Absolutely should be a pro football hall of famer. I see no doubt in that. Yes. Losing him is a monumental loss. The way, you know, when you were losing him in the game, the way I would equate him is he is Ben Wallace from the uh, Pistons. Some, I saw something recently. Ben Wallace is the uh, Hall of Famer at the lowest points per game, 5.3 points per game, but because he was like four, you know, four-time defensive, three or four-time defensive player of the year, like that's that that's the level of impact Slater had on games. He's never going to, you know, it's it's the, if he was doing his job well at times, you're going to, you know, you're never going to notice it. Um, but Slater, incredible career. I do think there's a potential that he comes back. McCourty, changing his positions. You know, switching from that first all pro year, I always think of the humility with which he has allowed people to come in and sort of compete for his playing time. He's played the majority of snaps throughout his career. They have five safeties on the roster this year. There's, you know, there's plenty of there was plenty of opportunity for him to lose snaps to people. His exceptional leadership allowed him to never be afraid that he wasn't going to have an impact. And that was through years of grinding and working hard. And, you know, I, I think that both showed the level of humility you need to to be a champion in the way you interact with your peers and showed the admiration for the game that is required to continue to grind hard when you went to your 30s. So, I, you know, likely both are done. I don't want to close the book on Slater quite yet. I think it's possible he does come back like Reese had stated. Um, but just the Patriots wouldn't have been the Patriots the last 10 years without McCordy and Slater. And that's why the comments about like, it's all Belichick, it's all Brady, not Belichick. It's all this, it's all that are so insulting to me because it undermines the responsibility that these men had to be successful at doing their jobs. And nobody exemplified that better for the Patriots over the past 10 years than McCordy and Slater. And I think really they were sort of, they took that mantle from your your Will Forks of the world. It's very much the do your job guys. Um, might not get all the shine and all the attention every single game, but makes every play that comes in front of them works really hard and leads by example, showing the right attitude you need to be a champion. And that's what both of them will retire as, regardless of how the last couple of seasons went. They are they are retiring as champions if they choose to step away. Absolutely, and. It, it's I, I'm going I'm going to say that if they don't retire, then I think that's great. But whatever they whatever they do, decide to do, they'll be great at it because like we've all said that they're great guys and they deserve to have whatever comes their way that is successful. And to me, I, I'm, I'm, you know, they're they're It's the end of an era. And to me, them leaving makes me feel old because I remember McCourty just coming into <laughs> It's all just starting his career. I remember that uh, game he, he played against the Lions and he had an interception. I think it was his first. And I remember that. And now <laughs> it's years later and it just makes me feel old. So uh, thanks, guys, for for thinking, even thinking about wanting to retire so that you can make me feel old <laughs> selfishly. But um, that's going to do it for us at Entitled Weekend. Uh, I, I, we had emails, but 
I, I went on that ridiculous rant about that article, so I apologize for that. But you can still email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com, and maybe we'll get to some get to some of those next time around. Until then, you can follow Joe at Joe Savignano. You can follow Bill at the Fib 624 Follow me at Atomic Dog 5150 And until next time, turn off your radio, slugs. <laughs>